many, many men. <clears throat> Today we're going to talk about the sanctifying power of the word. The sanctifying power of the word. You need to know that God has taken care of every single need that we have. <clears throat> and that that those needs are met through his word. His word is his covenant. His word is his bond. His word will always be fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his word will never pass away. In fact, it endures forever. <clears throat> so we are blessed to be people who are born of his word. And that's so important for us to remember. When you're born of God's word, that word becomes a part of you. We confess with our mouth, and then God confirms our confession with a, an empowerment or the result that he has promised in that word. So if you hear the gospel and you repent of your sins... And you ask Jesus to be your Savior, he really does come into your heart and save you. And that word becomes a part of you. It's not just something that's external to you that you get the benefit of, but that word actually comes alive on the inside of you. So you have the, the Spirit of God dwelling on the inside of you. You have his life dwelling on the inside of you. His spirit has personhood, and that spirit really transforms us into the image of Christ. We are as he would be in the world, or as he is in the world, but we are not he. We're not the same thing as God. God has to reserve Godhood for himself. Okay, so, But we are being transformed into the image of Christ, and so that seed starts to take root. And as we allow that seed to grow, that seed then begins to consume more and more of us. We begin to actually obey the Spirit of God moving from within us to do things and to perform and to accomplish so forth and so on. <clears throat> that word in us actually keeps us in harmony with God. The word begins to train us how to think how to respond, how to yield, how to get to know God. So that knowing of God starts out with that little seed that was planted when you were born again. So it is this seed of God that sets us apart from the world. When the word sanctifies, what that means. So to sanctify really means to consecrate. That means a separateness. That word comes into you and begins to divide you from the world. Not only does it divide you from the world, but it purifies you and makes you holy. We are washed by the water of the word. You ever, <clears throat> you ever have a, 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 a moment or maybe a, a season in your life where you don't feel as energetic or excited or something like that, and then you might start to read the Bible or you might listen to a sermon or pull out a CD that you haven't been listening to like you said you would. 
and all of a sudden you're all changed. You know, everything looks brighter. Every, well, you've been washed. You were dirty before, but now you're washed. That's what washing is. Amen. So if you think about the world's attitude, the world's values, all of that as being unclean, and look at the word as being pure and holy, you can see why the Bible would say you are washed by the water of the word. You're washed, the world is washed off of you by the water of the world, word. Also, the, the, that the word sanctify really means to purify and make holy. It means to venerate. That means to hold something in high esteem. It really means to make blameless. And this is something that's a little hard sometimes for religious people. They want to hold everybody in their fault when really we have been made blameless by the blood of Jesus. And it's not a one-time happening. We are forever blameless. We have been acquitted of murder, treason, high crimes, misdemeanors, and felonies. Uh Fingerprints are washed off. No DNA evidence is left behind. That's what blameless is. That means they can find no fault in you whatsoever. Now that blamelessness has been imputed to us by decree. When you stood before Christ, you asked him to be your savior. That's exactly what he did. He saved you from yourself first of all. Yeah, and from the world and the world's influence in your life. So blamelessness really means that someone, if you've done something wrong, that means somebody else has taken the blame for you. Huh? Really, is what it means. Doesn't mean you don't do any wrong. It doesn't mean you can't do wrong. It just means that someone else has taken the blame for you. He bore your sins carried your sorrows and pains and everything that would hurt you in this world system he took that already for you that's why it should be no problem for you to admit wrong to god i don't see why people need to rationalize their bad behavior and make excuses all the time because really excuses just give that that weakness permission to hang around Well, if you don't believe it, think about how hard it is to get rid of something if you don't repent and confess it. Versus if you do, it'll tend to leave you pretty quickly if you let God take care of it. Once you confess it to God, that means that he has permission to help you with that thing. If you try and make excuses for it, that means you want to keep it as a pet. And the next time you get in a situation, it'll turn around and bite you. That's the kind of pet it is. Well, you know, I I had a bad upbringing, and I didn't know my dad. I didn't know my mom. I didn't know my granny. I didn't know. Well, who did you know? You knew somebody because you were fed. looked like you got fed and clothed and taken care of. You must have known God and didn't know it. But, you know, we tend to want to blame our shortcomings and our faults on something like God is a psychiatrist. He ain't no psychiatrist. He's the Savior. 
psychiatrist can't save you. He's not going to die for you. In fact, he's going to charge you big money and not help you a whole lot. Huh? It's the truth. I could, you know, when I first met the Lord, I met him because I had a nervous breakdown. And I worked in, in mental health, Dr. Phil, you know. Shocked me to see two Christians sitting up on Dr. Phil's show. I still don't understand that. I hope God was in it. But, you know, to me, it's like running away from, you know, running to the world for, for supernatural help. Come on now. But, um,. I was shocked at how little we helped people, you know, and I did that for a living. <laughs> and thought I was sincere in what I was doing, but I saw there's really very little help for a tormented mind. That's why he's the savior of our soul. Save your soul. When your soul gets saved, it'll heal your body. A healed soul will heal your body. So he, he gets at the root of what it is. With us in sin, it's a damaged soul. It's a messed up mind. You know, it's confused thinking about something. And I had all of the above. And it took me a while to get a grip on things, on reality, and on life. <clears throat> and God did that for me. He taught me how to avail myself of the power of the blood. That's why, you know, I have a little, very little patience with Christians who don't repent. They just keep going on and on and on, making excuses and explanations and, and all of this nonsense when all you have to do, I mean, it's it's taken care of already. Why are you dealing? It's like, it's like you know, somebody having, handing you a bill for $500 and God says, well, give it to me. I've got a 1000 in the bank for you. And you just keep, well, you know, this bill is not that much. And I think I can handle And you know, the reason I got this bill is because of uh, the truth the stupid just that stupid because nobody has to hear your confession but god you don't have to confess to me but you need to confess it to god so it can be removed from your soul and your soul can get free and you can move on if you don't confess it it stays in your soul and it continues to work in your life christians have this this mistaken notion that a one-time confession is all you need and if you have to confess more there's something wrong with you yeah there is something wrong with you you ain't done confessing just like the rest of us huh nobody's ever done confessing you can have the good intentions i can have an intention to walk from here down to the end of that thing and if i don't watch my steps something will trip me up Huh? You got me? That's just life. You're not less of a Christian because you make mistakes and have to admit it. Get real. You know, we cheat ourselves out of such benefit in God because of our smallness. Huh? Our smallness and understanding. Life in general, the power of the blood, and all those things. You know, if we get sin off our soul, we make fewer mistakes. I'm going to say it again. If you get sin off your soul, you'll make fewer mistakes. Why? Because you come up blameless. Once you're blameless, you see clearly, you hear clearly, your heart's right, you're pure, you're fixed. But if you keep trying to hide that 
fault. Hide your fears, hide your shortcomings with a bunch of excuses. You're going to continue to trip yourself up because your soul's too burdened down with the world's nonsense. So there are several things that, that the word does to sanctify us. Number one, we talked about being born of God, born of the word of God. When you're born again, that word goes into you and it establishes God's life on the inside of you. The next process is hiding the word in your heart. Holding on to it, not letting it go. When I was a new Christian, I would hear scriptures and they sounded so good to me. You know, you get that temporary relief or temporary peace. But because I didn't understand to hide the word in my heart, to hold on to it, to keep it, to get benefit of it. See, I'd been in the school system, the world school system, and my my pattern was, well, I just memorize it long enough to take the test and then I'm done with it. It was on to the next thing. I mean, that's the way school is. Until somebody tells you that you need to be building knowledge for a lifetime. So that, you know, something can make sense to you. But that's all it was, was just reading, leaving it there, and, and going on to the next thing. And I would, <clears throat> people would say, well, you know, they, I'd tell them I'd whine to people. You know how new Christians are. They bleed all over everybody. And so this one lady said, well, why don't you do that then? If you know that, why don't you do it? And I thought to myself, I said, what does she mean by that? And then God began to show me that you can hide the word in your heart so that in times of trouble, that word would come and minister to you and give you the same effect as just reading and leaving it there, but now it stays with you. So I endeavored to hold on to what I believed. If I felt like I wasn't able to hold on to it, I asked God to help me. I remember hearing a preacher say that. Before you read the Bible, you need to pray and ask God to make that real to you and ask him to keep your focus. I can remember <clears throat> uh, uh, hearing people say things like, uh, you know, I would listen sometimes to programs where people call in with questions and ask ministers questions. And this girl was saying, well, every time I seems, every time I get ready to read the Bible, I fall asleep. He said, oh, that's easy to fix. You got me? easy to fix he said that happens to everybody he said that's the devil tempting you to steal the word from you he said and just ask god to help you to stay awake he said if you have to stand up and read it stand up and read it but get yourself in a place where you won't fall asleep and resist the devil and he will flee from you Hmm? bugs me to see people getting robbed of the word even they sleep in, in service they're awake during the worship and go to sleep during the word. And see, I know that's the enemy stealing, but they consistently, and then they get mad at you if you tell them it's the devil. And I said, well, there's a devil right there. I said, that's why you mad. I said, your spirit man ain't mad to stay awake with the word. I said, but the devil sure is. It's true. He will do anything he can to keep you from hiding that word in your heart. Why? The Bible says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
the word hidden in your heart. You hide it from the enemy from him stealing. See? You hide it there so he can't steal it from you. So once you begin to hide the word in your heart, then you find like, home. Oh, this has been a few days and I ain't got mad at nobody trying to want to cuss them out and I'm doing pretty good here. Huh? With me as a new believer, it was cussing, it was drinking, and, and hiding a knife so I wouldn't either kill myself or my husband. One of the two. Huh? I had the sharps. I could have, brother. You know. <laughs> huh? It's the truth. You know, you can get pretty desperate there. The devil make you a desperate person. Desperate woman. Desperate housewife. <laughs> Very desperate. All right. So you hide the word in your heart and it begins to govern you. It begins to direct you. Give you a strong a strength on the inside that will lead you toward blamelessness, righteousness, and holiness and purity. It develops a good conscience toward God so that you resist evil on your own. It just becomes an automatic thing. Certain thoughts that used to come to you that sounded so familiar now are foreign. You know, you just resist them. They don't, you, they don't, you're not even tempted to want to go that way. The third thing that you do in, in being sanctified by the word is you meditate on it. That means you mull it over and over and over again in your mind. Now, let me tell you, tell you what most people do naturally. When we do our mulling, it's when somebody tells us we're short at the bank or we're short somewhere. We got a problem here. That's what we usually mull. It's the truth. Because what, what we focus on is what's important to us. And what's important to us as sinners is usually problems. Because you're basically carefree as an unbeliever until a problem comes. And then you've got to keep that with you until you figure out what to do about it. And so what God says, instead of mulling the problem, mull, it, mull the word. And the answer will come to you. If I'm short in my bank account and I meditate on the, that God will supply all my need. If I keep that word running over and over in my mind, what's happening is I'm washing the fear and I'm washing the worry and concern out of my mind. I'm washing my mind with the water of the word. That water then will purify my soul and I have the mind of Christ after that. And then that mind will give me the answer. Now let me tell you what we do. We grab a scripture and hold on to it for a second and we just, this worry is just too good. I can't let that go. I just. <laughs> uh-huh. And we never sometimes tap into the mind of Christ because we don't even know that's there. Because we don't give the word enough. Sometimes you will will hear the word spoken inside of us and just push it right aside and go on worrying again. Well, I can't. I, I got to get the answer to this. It's not come come out of them cobwebs that you got. Huh? That little you know you got a little rat running around in a maze up there in your brain trying to find his way. 
and run into another little dark corner, got to turn around and run back again. Huh? <laughs> my friend, Mike, my little stockbroker, he said, I, I, you know, I, I drank some, some coffee and I feel like I got gerbils running around my brain. I said, this man I trust with my money, he got gerbils. <laughs> I mean, you know, God, God's got to be a good God. Somebody admit to you they got gerbils running around their brain. I said, oh, my goodness. <laughs> I got a lot of confidence in God, don't I? <laughs> but meditation will eventually graft the word in. You know what graft means? That means something was snipped off and something planted in. So what was snipped off? That worry, that problem, the root that holds that problem in your brain, that branch that grew that problem into a big thing gets cut off. And then the word gets planted in your soul. So they can't exist and bear fruit at the same time. Praise God for that. I mean, it's a good thing that God can take that away. And then get, get the right answer in there so that when you sit and you think you have a peaceful mind now, you're not worried anymore. You just know God's going to do something. You may not know when. You may not know what he's going to do. But you're, you have an assurance now that he'll do something. So meditating on the word grafts it in. And it brings salvation to your soul. Hmm? says the engrafted word is able to save your soul. You know what salvation means? It doesn't mean you, your soul's, you know, going to die or anything. But salvation, that word, really means wholeness, or it's from the Hebrew shalom, which means to be whole in spirit, soul, body, and estate. Spirit, soul, and body don't worry most people. It's estate that gets us. Huh? We'd be worried, you know, we need to put that first. Because if, if, if the devil can't mess with our money, we just fine. Uh, so we, we have to understand that when God blesses us, when he helps us, it encompasses every area of your life. Now, Christians for a long time didn't think that was part of what God did. But thank God for teaching the whole word. You know, where people understand what it means to be blessed. And so we have <coughs> salvation of soul. If people don't understand if you have the mind of Christ, you have everything. You know, you can get wealth out of that too. It's just a matter of, of thinking and, and working through problems and getting uh, creative ideas and so forth. So when that mind, you have, you have access to all of his thoughts. My goodness, what more do you want? You might have to do a little work to go along with it, but you're going to do that anyway. So when the word gets grafted in, it's able to save our soul and bring salvation to your soul and wholeness, health, prosperity to your soul. It causes us to win that mental warfare where we would be worried, we would be fearful, we would be concerned. Now we got the worry on the mat. We got him pinned down. And so if you win the warfare on the inside, 
it increases the chances that you won't have to fight it on the outside. Once you get God's peace about something, you have his assurance, you get a handshake from God about what it is that you desire that ceases all striving on the inside of you. And that peace will carry you to the place where that blessing will manifest itself. You need to go out with that assurance. You know, don't go out nervous and unsure because that that fruit will follow you everywhere. You know, if you're not sure, just stay home. You know, don't call nobody. Don't do nothing. Just shut in with the word until you can believe that, that God's telling you the truth about things and his word is true. So, as you meditate on the word, it gives you that inner peace which is able to create a pathway for you to the manifestation of that blessing. The striving on the inside really must cease. Now, I, there's people who say, well, you know, if you're afraid, just do it anyway. And I, you can do better than that. Come on now. Because eventually that fear is going to bear fruit. The Bible says that... God did not give us that spirit so you don't have to receive it. You can receive his peace. You can go off in peace. (coughs) Excuse me. And you can have that assurance that whatever it is that you're desiring from God is there. If it's not at the first place, it's at the second or the third or the fourth. (coughs) Excuse me. At every juncture, your faith should get stronger. This isn't like a crapshoot, you know. It's the carnal mind will start to think of faith that way. You know, it's like if, you know, when you roll the dice, <coughs> you can crap out at any on any shoot. You don't crap out with God. You got me? You Every step you make gets you stronger for the next step. But see, people fall apart if they get a no answer the first time they step out in faith. Which, that shouldn't disturb you at all. Faith is not disturbed with a no answer. You know, I mean, it just means it wasn't there. You went there because you felt your faith led you there, but the manifestation was not there. You got me? Why is the manifestation not there? Because your faith isn't strong enough to get you there yet. But you'll get there if you keep going. See, faith is a process. It's not a one-shot deal. huh? You know, people want to throw a fit and, you know, sit there with their lips poked out and all this because they finally prayed one good prayer. And they were expecting the world to, to fall at their feet. And it didn't quite happen that way. Well, we're supposed to live by faith. Not just try it one time and think everything's supposed to happen well. I remember when we first were starting learning the healing ministry and we used to take buses of people to Benny Hinn's meetings. And I remember a lady that we went to the first meeting the first day and she sat beside me and she was crying and I didn't get my healing. I said, well, we're going again tonight. Well, you don't understand. I said, no, you don't understand. You know, I had that much sense, and I was new at it myself. 
I said, if you'll stop feeling sorry for it, what do you mean feeling sorry for myself? I said, that little thing right there keeps asking me if I'm speaking English. I said, you understand me, devil. (laughs) I'm speaking your language. See, there was no faith there to begin with. There was just guessing. A lot of anger, a lot of self-pity just went, you know. And so we learned how to help people to focus on the word and focus on their faith and just encourage them. If your healing did not manifest <clears throat> this this morning, we're going back again tonight. Just stay in the word, get yourself scripture, hide it in your heart, and we'll you know we'll be there again tonight. That's why we always played healing tapes on the way down. You know, we had people at well, I got a real good video I brought. No, thank you. Huh? And most of them weren't good. Trust me. You could tell by what was on. Well, I got one of the the uh, Carson family singers from way down in Mississippi. No, thank you. Huh? Now, we don't want to be sung to death. We want the word. <clears throat> you need teaching and understanding, you know. So, I mean, you, you when you are after something from God, you got to be focused, folks. You can't be nice. you got to be focused. Now, I'm nice all the time, but i got to be focused right now. You got me? This ain't time for nice. This is time for focus. Or somebody will come there and the devil will kill them because you're trying to be nice to somebody. So meditating on the word allows us to win the inner warfare. You fight it on Temptation Island. Now when you get that inner warfare won, then the temptation to believe the world's methods or the temptation not to believe God's word goes away. Goes away on a mental level. Speaking the word of faith draws the enemy out to announce his defeat in your life. You got me? Once that word gets out of your mouth in faith, then the enemy sees it. He's confronted with it. He can't do anything with it. God sees it. That gives God something to work with, to manifest it. And then that word will lead you to the manifestation of your promise. It's got to be spoken. Paul said, we believe and therefore we speak. What you believe you're going to say anyway, whether it's godly or stupid. You got me? <clears throat> so you're going to talk anyhow. But if you meditate on the word to where you believe it and hide it in your heart and it gets grafted in. And you meditate and you make a decision. That you believe the word and not symptoms. You believe the word and not your bank account. You believe the word and not whatever else. Once you decide that, then the next thing is to release that word through confession. Once it's out there, it puts the enemy on notice that you are trusting God and you believe God and you're not afraid of him. Next step is to act on what you believe. So I outlined five steps from beginning to end. You're born of the word. You hide it in your heart. Meditate on it. You speak it. And then you act on it.
there is always a corresponding action to your confession. There's always a corresponding action to your confession. Make sure that your confession follows up on what you say. Or, I mean, your actions follow up on what you say. Never tell someone you are going to do something without intention, the intention of performing it. That's not God. And if you don't perform it, quit shouting your mouth off. Because God looks at your record of how you follow through. Because it's like God to perform his word. He wants his kids to be like him. Or his soul has no delight in us <clears throat> if we're liars. Mm-hmm. Men get in trouble promising women stuff they don't do. <laughs> huh? Baby, baby. Uh-huh. You're not going to do it? Don't say you're going to do it. Uh-huh. Parents with your children. You know, quit promising them Disney World because you know that ain't in your budget. You know, you can't make it to Cedar Point. So let's just come on now. Cut it out. You know, we promise things because we're looking for a certain response from people call manipulation and lying. God does not bless liars. His children aren't liars because he's not a liar. We're to be imitators of God, the Bible says, like dear children, close children, children who imitate their father because they love their father. So when we're imitators of God, then we will follow through. There is a corresponding action to your confession of faith. If you confess Christ and start acting like him. Huh? True, that's a corresponding action to your confession. If you say <coughs> you believe you receive your healing when you prayed, put the cane down. Get up out the wheelchair. Let's do something here. There's a corresponding action to your faith. Mm-hmm. Just the way it is. Now, if you don't believe God's a healer, don't be sitting up there saying you want to be healed. You know, you have to go through the whole thing. There are some people that, you know, when we work with people at the altar, there are some people who will, what I call, get it. And that is they'll let faith take over. You know, some people will be scared and shake their head when you want to get them up. I say, well, when you're ready, you can get up. You can get up and walk anytime you want to now. And so we have to have some corresponding action to our confession of faith. Uh, It's got to be there. It's got to be there. So in John 17, if you'll turn there, finally got to our text. Starting in verse 14, this is Jesus' intercessory prayer. 17.1 17.1 it says father the hour has come glorify thy son that thy son also may glorify thee then he begins to talk about how he has ministered to the people 
all the people that God gave him, he says he's kept them all except for one, you know, and that was Judas. And his it wasn't him. Uh, it wasn't for Jesus to to keep him like he had kept the rest. And he talked about how they were sanctified, kept holy, set apart from the world by his word. So <clears throat> in verse 14, he says, I have given them thy word. And the world has hated them. So whenever you are born of the Spirit of God, the world will hate you. So quit trying to make friends with the world. And quit expecting friendship with the world because you're going to have to get back in sin in order to be friends with the world. And so if you're sanctified by God's word... He wants you to stay sanctified, stay set apart, because that set apartness has a purpose. There's a great purpose in your life. So he says, he gave his disciples the word, and the world hated them, because they're holy and the world is evil. You got me? It's just that simple. People in the world are evil. They haven't been enlightened. Many of them don't want to be enlightened because they think they're having the time of their lives. They hated Jesus because of the truth and the light that he carried into the dark, evil world. Now, people all kind of look the same, but what distinguishes us from the world is what's inside of us. And once you begin in the word, you better beef it up. Pump it up, encourage it as much as you can because the world is getting more evil every day. More and more evil every day. So in verse 14, I have given them thy word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. So everything that happened to Jesus, if you stay true to the word, will happen to you. Don't be afraid of any of it. And don't pat yourself on the back because it's happening to you. It's just what happens. Okay? You don't have to have a reaction to it one way or the other. I pray not that you should take them out of the world. But instead, while they keep them in the world, but keep them from evil. Now this is one of the reasons for our being sanctified. Is because we are in an evil world and we're not going to be taken out. But we can be protected and insulated and kept in a set apart condition even though we're in an evil world. And that's often a new thing for many Christians. You know they don't believe that they don't they have the power not to do things that they've always done all their lives. It's just true. That's why we have so many people that, you know, will kind of make excuses and, you know, well, you know, God understands. No, he doesn't. He's not a sinner. He doesn't understand sin. He doesn't. That's why, and it's good not to understand certain things. It's true. Sometimes you can help people more because of what you haven't been through. Because sometimes people who haven't been through things can give you a very simple explanation for how they deal with not doing it. You find somebody who's been like you are, y'all, you've been to talk both of y'all into going back to the, 
You know, people say when people get off drugs, oh, God's going to give you a ministry to drugs. No, you go the other way. You just keep walking. You let God handle that. You don't go looking for your ministry. It'll come to you. Everybody's does. So he says in verse 15, I pray not that you should take them out of the world, but you shall keep them from evil. Now, what's evil? Evil is defined as, as what's hurtful. See? It's not fun. It's hurtful. It's hurtful in effect or influence. Grievous. It causes you grief. Malicious. Culpable. That means there's blame there. Lewd. That's without restraint in any way. Derelict. In a deteriorated condition. You know, sometimes you watch these, um, uh, you know, you look at some of these like cops or, you know, some of these people that show real real police raids and stuff and they'll go in to a dope house and it's horrible. It's like there's there's no furniture, just a mattress and filth and it just looks like animals wouldn't even want to live there. And here we have humans living like that. Sometimes they have babies they keep in conditions like that. And it's it's just horrible, depraved. And that's what it means to be derelict that's in a deteriorated condition. Those are derelict people. So evil will take you downhill. It will take you to a hurtful condition, a condition where you feel that you're to blame. Even though God has made us blameless by his blood, if you will confess and God bring you out, then you're blameless again. A lot of times people don't believe that. But if you'll meditate on God's promise to sanctify you and wash you clean again, you're just as clean as a person who just slipped and said a bad word or, you know, somebody got angry at the wife for no reason or the husband for no reason. You know, you're, you're just as a confession is a confession. And when you're exonerated, you're exonerated. So it's God cleanses from all unrighteousness. And so the enemy would make us think, though, that God couldn't possibly, oh, look at what you did. He couldn't possibly forgive you. And, you know, people say that about any sin. You know, the devil will say that about, he'll say that to somebody who has a temper problem, the same way he'll say somebody who has a death problem or murder problem or any other kind of problem he, he always makes it look bigger bigger than god no god knew what you were going to do when he saved you he saved you anyway so he's married to all of us amen he's the father of us all so and and this explains really why we don't go to heaven immediately after we're saved now the best time to go to heaven is when you're washed clean isn't that right after you live for a while, you think, man, how would I get back here again? thought this was my last visit to this place. Mm-hmm. And so it's because he wants us to stay in the world. And he has another remedy 
for evil, and that is to sanctify us with his word and separate us and, and make us holy and set apart. So even though we are in the world, we're not of the world, because this word then is able to make us pure and holy. And so he says, <clears throat> that's his prayer to the Father, that we be kept from evil. We be kept from evil. We'll talk about how that's done. He says, <clears throat> number 17, then sanctify them. That's how we're kept from evil. We are sanctified by your truth. Your word is truth. So we are kept from evil by choosing the word. It's a choice. It's not like God just puts us here and the word takes us by the hand and leads us through life. It will if we yield to it. But there is a process of getting ourselves in a place where we can totally follow God. Verse 18, as you have sent me into the world, even so have I sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through truth. So if Christ lives in you, the fact that he sanctifies himself or keeps himself set apart by obeying the Father in all things... That means that we are capable of doing the same thing. As he has set himself apart, made himself holy through the word. That's all he did. He meditated on the word all the time. He waited on instruction from the father before he moved out. He wasn't impulsive. He wasn't trying to prove anything to anybody. He merely obeyed the father all the time. And that sees our example. We can do the same thing. We don't have to get in trouble over and over again for the same minor petty thing. Now, Christians, you know, we sell out too cheap sometimes, I say. I mean, if you're going to sell out. But, you know, that's, that's not what I'm trying to encourage you to do by any means. But it's always the little foxes that spoil a vine. You know, little attitudes that we have, pet attitudes we hold on to. You know, things that we know we need to get rid of because they're not pleasing to God, but we'll hold on to them anyway. And after feeding that thing, it becomes a big pet. And after a while, it's a, it's a raging wolf on the inside of us because we won't let it go and keep ourselves holy and sanctified through and through with the word. So he says he sanctified himself. He made an example of himself for our sake. That we would know that we could be sanctified through the truth. Through the truth of God's word. He says, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe. So that's us. He was, And that's important to note because <clears throat> many times people will talk about, well, the disciples, that was a different you know, dispensation than what we live in now. That's why Jesus makes it clear that this is to all believers. So it's not just for the disciples that he left on the earth when he left, the ones that were living then, but for all who would believe on his name. That the same process of being set apart and made holy, you know, many people like the Catholic Church, they believe that the age of the saints is gone, you know, and every now and then somebody qualifies for sainthood, you know, if the Pope says so, and, 
all that kind of stuff. But we're all called to be saints. We are saints of the Most High God. We're set apart, sanctified people because we are born of his word and born of his spirit. So after salvation, Jesus has prayed that even though we live in a hostile and alien territory, that we will not be removed but remain so that we can continue to lead people into the same sanctification that we enjoy. You'll notice that when you pray with people and lead them to Christ, be careful your witness. Because they will wind up doing the same things that you do and believing the same things that you do. It's like people don't believe in tongues. It's they've been been uh, you know born again, or if they are born again, born into a a denomination, and not so much into the word into understanding the full impact of the word in their life. So people tend to imitate those that they are are familiar with. And so it's important for you <clears throat> to give truth to people when you lead them to Christ. You know, tell them that Jesus died for their sins. Is there something in your life that you know God's not pleased with? It must be if they're willing to invite Christ into their life. There must be something they need to repent of. So we need to deal with that and get that out of the way. So that people don't get the impression that it's okay to still be in sin and get Jesus on top of your sin. You got me? It's just so wrong. Not, and you don't have to compromise on the gospel. It's not your gospel anyway. You didn't die to lead anybody to heaven and you can't put nobody in hell either. But you will. You keep messing around with compromise. See, We, we live in a compromised world now. People just want to grow buildings and grow churches and not grow people. But you've got to let people confront their sin. They've, they've got to come in through the narrow gate. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. The way to eternal life is very narrow. You know, you only a few things you're allowed to do. One's repent, the other's confess. <laughs> Number three is receive Christ. Well, that's how you receive him. And so... <clears throat> Many times, God will continue even if they're not born again then. He'll continue to hover over their lives because they've made a confession that they want him. You see this in denominational churches that that will uh, compromise on their teaching of the gospel. They'll talk about Jesus, but they don't invite people to be born again. You know, people who are, who are, are uh, religious organizations that have a bunch of rituals and sacraments and stuff, procedures that they have people go through and steps they have you go through. Well, because you are seeking God and you continue to have a heart open to him, he will continue to draw you to him. Now, I've had people tell me this. Eventually, they got to somebody who taught them how to be born again. They'll say, well, you know, I I was in the church all my life and nobody ever told me I had to do this. But I've seen God help me. You know, I would pray and he would do things for me and I feel close to God. But I never knew I had to be born again. Nobody led me in the sinner's prayer. Nobody told me this. 
many Catholics believe in in the last rites. They believe you can't get saved until you're on your deathbed. And do you know God will make sure somebody's there to tell them the truth at the time of death? Because he honors what they believe as long as they're holding on to some truth of God. He will honor the truth that they believe even though it's not the whole truth. He does that forever. When we preach and we tell people things and we don't know the full story, he, he honors what we know and he honors what we believe. But we need to know the whole story. No, that's not something to rejoice about because you can know the whole story. You can know to lead them to Christ. You don't tell them half a story and and because you don't want to come out with the whole thing, lose their friendship. You know, lose them on the roll because now we're preaching that gospel that people feel like nobody loves them. Fire and brimstone. Why is that such a bad thing to preach? It's real. Hello. Oh, yeah, they teach, preach fire and brimstone. They need to preach more of it. If the world don't like that, then that's what the world needs. They need to know they'll go to hell if they don't confess Christ. And that's what everybody's trying to avoid. Are you sure about that? I'm very sure about it. You know how I know? I can show you right here in the Bible where it is. Huh? I'm very sure about it. Well, do you think God really meant that? Did the sun come up this morning? He meant for the sun to come. It's the same word. He upholds the world with his that power. is the same power that's in here that holds that sun up right now. Now, if there's no hell, that means that sun could fall in your lap, but you're not worried about it. So that means there's a hell. And you will go if you don't confess Christ as your Savior. Are they gay people in heaven? Absolutely not. Everybody in heaven straight. Hmm? Does that mean gay people are in hell? Yes, ma'am, if they don't repent of their sins. Hmm? Quit calling themselves gay because they're not gay anymore. They're children of God. You get a new identity when you're saved. As no, I wouldn't. It, I would no more call myself a robber after I got saved, or fornicator, adulterer, murderer, drug addict. None of that stuff. I'm not that anymore. I am a child of God. I mean, how gay can you feel with the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you if you've really repented of your sins? So, we can remain in the world and not be corrupted by the world because we are sanctified by the word. Let the word work in you. Let the word do what it's supposed to do. Cleanse you through and through. Cleanse your mind so that your thoughts are approved of God. Not trying to figure out ways to have fun and kick it with your homies and <clears throat> kick it with this and kick it with that. But you're trying to find out God's plan for your life. You have important things to do with your life. Huh? So we are made holy. Holiness really is divine life imputed to us. Where God actually lives a holy life through us. We look the same. We talk the same. 
Some of the things we do are the same, but we are a holy set-apart people because we've been sanctified. Our brains are washed with the word, and it's a permanent change. I can remember somebody, uh, there was a, a young woman that was, her parents felt that she had been brainwashed by some kind of a cult. And she had been born again. And they didn't like the fact that she had, her life had changed so radically. They felt surely. And so they had these uh, people who specialize in going, getting your kids out of cults and deprogramming them and everything. And uh, they brought her back home. And she said that, well, you can try everything you want, but I'm not programmed. She said, the Holy Spirit did not wash my brain. He totally changed it. So you can't deprogram me from divine life. He said, you don't have the tools to take that away from me. And she wasn't afraid. She wasn't upset. And her parents were still frustrated. But she went on and enjoyed her Christian life. Because she made up her mind she didn't want the world anymore. And she allowed God to tell her her answers that she gave people. And she wasn't afraid to declare Christ. She said, well, being born again is not something you program people into. It's a life. I've been totally changed. I'm not the same person. So we are not like the world, nor are we of the world, because we have divine life in us. I will be so glad when the church quits trying to imitate the world to win them over. We don't want to turn them off. You know, we don't want to look like this, and we don't want to look like that. They, what they get from you, they don't get from your outside. They get it from your inside matters not what you look at like on the outside i remember the woman whose testimony i heard i didn't even know what she looked like i just heard her talking you know the door between us was closed and i heard her testimony i couldn't have told you what she looked like except after afterwards i met her sometime later i got a chance to see what she looked like but when god reminded me of what i needed to hear when when my life went downhill, it was words I remembered. It wasn't a face. It wasn't how they were dressed. It wasn't how they talked, if they were cool or not cool. Uh, I just remembered the words. So we are a holy nation of people, sanctified or set apart by the truth, which is the word of God. You sit there and you read that word long enough, you change. You change from a person that was out after self to somebody now that's always concerned about other people first. Wow, how'd that happen? Hmm? Used to be, you know, I thought about me first all the time. Now I want to give things to people. I'm, I'm not wanting so much. Not so insecure. I got to have this and got to have that to be happy. You know, I can be happy with very little that this world has to offer better to have command of things than to possess them you got me it's better to have command of things than to possess them the person who has poverty in their soul wants to possess everything because they're afraid of not having anything The person who's rich in their soul knows that they could command things into their life, but they resist it. They don't need to. It's not that they can't. 
so that they make a choice not to. There's a big difference. Now, if you don't have commanding power over things that you need, you need to seek God for it. Keep building up on the word. Quit saying you don't, you don't need everything because that's a lie. You don't know what you might need. Yeah, I bought this huge house and I don't need that big house, but it's mine. God told me to get it for reasons of God said there's more in life than your little needs. You got me? Sometimes you have to obey God, period, because you don't know what he wants you to do. And you don't know when he wants you to do it. But he wants people who are ready to do things he wants them to do. Period. Can you let him be God? You know what I'm saying? Just let him be God. And let him give you confidence and faith and endow you with the things that are necessary for life and godliness. Sometimes he just wants his kids to possess things so he, cause so the devil's people don't have them all. Good gravy. You know, the devil can do a lot with possessions because he can lure people in because of them. You got me? You know, if, if, if God didn't bless his people with houses and lands and stuff, they, you know, people think we can't have those things and be stuck in the world all the time. Well, I can't go over there with them Christians, eh, hey, you know. You got me? They don't believe in that and they you know, your people can't have this and they can't have that because it's a sin and it's wrong. No. God wants people to know his people prosper and live well. And they have abundance, that kind of thing, because we serve a God of abundance. The wealth of the sinner is laid up for us. Whether you have it or not, you better be believing for it. Because if you don't, if you shut that down, if you keep saying you don't need this and you don't need that and you don't need this and you don't need that, you don't know what you need. You don't know where God's going to put you. You don't know what he's going to require of you in the future. I remember hearing Fred Price preach that some time ago. There was a minister that that needed was going to lose his ministry church and everything because of a lawsuit and he needed a certain amount of money and I know it was over a hundred thousand dollars and Fred said if I didn't believe God for that kind of money what would this brother have done because obviously he gave him the money he needed but he said you know if God's people don't believe he said the devil's knocking at somebody's door trying to get them evicted get them thrown out get them anything and the church is supposed to take care of each other you see what I'm saying? But if we're not willing to believe God for more and have command of things and have command of property and have command of houses and lands, then how are we going to be a church that can meet one another's needs? You can't go to the world for stuff. You can't go to the world for it. They're not going to give it to you. If you get it from the world, you're going to have to pay through the nose interest and everything else. And so we have to understand as a church when God puts on your heart to possess, to improve, to increase, to prosper. Follow through with it. Don't get in pride and say you don't need stuff or you don't want that or you don't like that. You like it. Uh, If a limo ship pulled up outside, everybody would be running, looking, trying to get up in there. 
Oh, who is that for? I know. Oh, that's my car. They sent that for me. Hmm? I did that all the time. I saw Limo. I said, would you tell me? Skim a little closer. That's mine. I claimed him when I was in the world. I claimed him as a believer. Hmm? I'll jump in one in a minute. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. Don't worry about that. We had our first conference. We had a 12-seater stretch limos free. <laughs> Took us from from what the Renaissance Center down the street to Como Hall. We didn't even know it was right down the street. I know nothing. But I was just to show you God's favor and blessing. There was a woman. I This woman was in the grocery store. And I just struck up a conversation with her. You know, she was buying <clears throat> all the champagne. And um, she she was tanned, and it was wintertime. And I said, gosh, where are you going with all that champagne, tan lady? Don't you look nice? You know, just talking. And she told me she had been so-and-so and such-and-such, and she was buying the shit. She said, I have a limo company. I said, really? I said, you know what, I think we need, may need that because we're, you know, and I told her about the meeting. Oh, you're a minister? Cool. You know, lady minister. They all, you know, think that's wonderful. You know, I said, yeah, cool. So I took her card. And so I did call her. And I told her what we were doing. <clears throat> and I told her, I said, you know what? I said, I really want to use your services. I said, don't, not, not like I don't want to use you. Because I talked to her a couple times. And when it came time to do the meeting, we were stuck Budget-wise, not sure about what would come in through the offering. So I told her, I said, maybe we can do it next time. So she said, well, okay. And she called me back two days later. And she said, you know what? She said, I just want to do something. She said, this is your first meeting. She said, I really want to help out. She said, well, why don't we do this? She said, I'll send the cars and I'll do everything. She said, "You, you let me know afterwards what you can do. Just like that. So, and the guy was there on time, and he was in, he was a Christian as well. The driver was a Christian, very mannerable, very um, you know, just a nice guy. And so we had all these preachers going down, and you know, and he'd show us how to sit in. Yeah, don't get in like that. This is how you get in. I said, oh, limo lessons. That's what I've been missing. You know, the whole nine yards. <laughs> But see, I know what God will do with your faith. See, I know what he'll do with it. Now, listen. The idiot would say, well, no, that's okay. We don't need. You got me? Don't you ever, when God's favor, you learn how to understand favor and how to move with favor. Because we, and and we paid, I mean, it came free. She wasn't wanting anything but when it came came to the budget we met the budget so we went ahead and paid her you know what what it would have cost for for that service i found out later she didn't charge us full price even mm-hmm. limos are 60 dollars an hour at least i mean that was back then i'm sure they're more now and they charge you from the time they come till your last because that thing waits for you the whole time and so <clears throat> I began to understand God's standard for how we're to live through that experience. That's his standard. So you don't ever refuse his standard because you won't have favor if you keep refusing it. 
If somebody offers to pray with you for a better vehicle, don't say, I like the one I have. You're lying. Uh, you're a liar. Because you're always going to need something newer. You're always going to need something better. You're always going to need something that's whole. That's why when people rent cars, they rent you new cars. Most car rental places have new cars and not wrecks. Huh? Why? Because they know you want something that looks nice, drives comfortably, nobody else has been in it, it don't smell like smoke on the inside. You want to be comfortable and you like nice things. Everybody does. And so when God begins to begins to open the door of favor, don't let your pride, because you don't have it already, and you've never had it, don't let your pride tell you you don't want it. Because you're lying to yourself. Your inner man is accustomed to heaven's provision. And his vision is what heaven has and what heaven looks like. And I know we all got budgets to live in. But there is a, a heaven that you can get even at your budget level. There's a heaven standard that you can get even at your budget level. Very often when people offer to pray for you for things, you know, sometimes you'll like get a, a rental car and somebody will say, that looks like, do you like that car? Let's pray for you to get one of them. Don't you turn your nose up, get embarrassed and act like you're crazy. You let their faith start to operate in your life. Because what they're, they're offering is to support and undergird your desire with their faith. You got me? And so you get as much faith going because that's the problem. You're not letting yours work oftentimes. So you've got to let your faith work. God sent that person to you to pray for you to get something better. We all want something better all the time. You know, the, the problem sometimes you have to face, what I face sometimes is what I have works well. You know what I'm saying? And do, do I really want to make a note or do I really, you know what I'm saying. You just got to. Those kinds of things, but it's not like I don't want anything better. You got me? Always want. We can always do better. So we are separated from the world. And this separation means that we have had an offering made on our behalf. That's how you're separated. It's not because you look down your nose at certain people. You got me? It's religion, where we've always thought we were better than people, just on our own. You're separated because you've had an offering made on your behalf. And that's the blood of Jesus. And it's been sprinkled over the mercy seat on your behalf. When you accepted Christ as your Savior, you accepted that that blood was shed for you personally. You put your name on that. Separation means we belong to God, not to yourself separated unto God as a peculiar possession and underline that word peculiar because we all are a little bit we're at our best when we're in tune with God and doing his will when we're not in tune with God we will fall victim to evil means it will participate in it We are separated to be used by God through obedience to his word. Every time you obey God's word, 
God is using you to exercise his authority in the earth. You are exercising authority and dominion for God through obedience to his word. And that's a blessing. You're overcoming evil every time you obey God. You know, so don't play obedience cheap. And don't think, well, you just, you know, doing this and doing, I'm not having no fun. Yes, you are. You're exercising dominion for God through your obedience. When you go into work and you refuse to sit and gossip about the boss and backbite, and you, you treat the boss with respect, you're exercising dominion over evil through God's word. I mean, the smallest thing you do in obedience to the word of God, you're exercising dominion over evil. And we are doing it with the same purpose that Jesus had, and that is to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus would show up in the synagogue and the devil would get mad at him. Want to throw him off a cliff, want to haul him off and murder him. Couldn't even go to church for people wanting to kill him. You think the sanctuary is a sanctuary. It's not really for some people. So that separation means that we have an offering made on our behalf. And then we're separated also into divine protection. And we're protected. We need protection because the world hates us. Sinners would kill us if they couldn't manipulate us sometimes. You got that? So God then will increase our effectiveness against the enemy. And cause us to rise up against darkness because the world hates us. So if there is a power of evil in the world, God has to give us greater power to overcome that. And we overcome it if we realize that we are set apart people. We're not to intermingle with the world. No, we're not to go to their dances and do the things that they do and all of that. We're separated people. you got other things to do. You don't hang around and wish you could do it. You know, you go and do whatever God tells you to do. And this separateness is something that the world understands sometimes better than the believer does. Sometimes people in the world will make remarks. Well, I knew there was something different about you. You never mentioned Christ. Mm-hmm. Or, I can't believe you're saying that. It just doesn't look right coming out of your mouth. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, you know, you just seem different somehow, you see. And so the world will, will keep us into this separation sometimes. Mm-hmm. Because they are, are respectful of it. They have a hands-off attitude. Now, there are times when the devil assigns people against us, and they will ignore the warnings of the Holy Ghost. And so those are the people that we have to rise up and separate ourselves from, because they don't understand the sanctification. 
So we're separated into divine protection and into divine favor. Now divine favor comes to compensate us for the risk we take in demonstrating the truth of God's word. Did you know he pays you for the risk you take in obeying his word? You could lose a job. You could lose favor. You could use possess. You could you could be a great loss if people had their way to do what they wanted to do. So God compensates us with favor. Hmm? Favor is a compensation for persecution. The Bible says that when you forsake your own life, you get thirty, sixty, a hundredfold, but with persecution. Hmm? The persecution comes to remind you that you don't belong to the world. See, if you have the world's goods, you have more knowledge than the world, you have all these, you can command things into your life supernaturally, then persecution has got to come so you don't go over the line and go join them. You got the world's goods, you got power. Remember Samson? Mm Mm-hmm. He stayed across the line. Why? Because he understood the wealth of God that was in him. He was smarter than all of those Philistines. He was stronger than all of them. And so he didn't remember his sanctification. Number one, he took he broke the Nazarite vows over and over again. He married women that weren't believers. So he, he stayed over the line and eventually got trapped in and, and you know, you know the end of the story. The devil took his life because he was able to keep over on the devil's side. And so God gives persecution with our blessings just to keep us set apart to him. You don't want the world feeling real comfortable with you. You don't want that. They should see you as somebody that is approachable. Someone they can talk to, just like they did Jesus. He would go home and eat with them, but he didn't kick it with sinners. You got me? He knew when to cut it off. You don't lower yourself to where you're not set apart and holy. Just for the sake of friendship and companionship, you understand your purpose. And that is, the last one is divine purpose. You're set apart for divine purpose in God. You're not set apart just to be better than people or to tell them what to do and condemn them when they do wrong or to watch people to see if somebody sins or something. But the divine purpose is to win souls for Christ. Win them, bring them over to his side. Amen. Why don't we stop? Father in heaven, we do thank you for your word and honoring your word. Your word among us has great power to make us holy. We look the same. We talk the same. We're pretty much the same persons except on the inside. We have divine life and we are separated unto this life for your glory and for your purpose. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. If anybody needs prayer.